The only reason I'm here is because you guys wanted some kind of replacement kid. Look at me. You are nobody's replacement. Your mother is... She's not here anymore. But you are our son. And now it is my job to raise you right. And I am doing the best job that I can without her. Welcome to part two of our Kin episode. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect on their exclusive patron feed. And we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. We're close in the year, Alex. And actually, as people listen to this episode, they're going to have two bonus episodes on the patron feed. One is Ryan's pick of uh, the movie Faithful Findings. A movie from a filmmaker that I guess is well-known in certain corners of uh, the internet, movie Twitter, film Twitter, but I never even heard of him or this movie. Uh, Neil Breen, that's the name. So that'll be that, along with uh, something that we try to fit in when we can, which is a Christmas episode. Uh, Alex, what are we watching for the patron Christmas episode this year? We are going to be going back to the year of 1974, uh, when Bob Clark made his first of two Christmas classics, going to be visiting one of the quintessential Christmas films. And also, um, you know, a lot of people hold this as a groundbreaking landmark film in the, the slasher horror genre. We're going to be talking about Black Christmas. Very excited about this, as I always forget you've never seen it. So finally getting you under the microscope to discuss this. Um I wouldn't say this is one of my favorite horror movies, nor one of my favorite Christmas movies, but it has the Christmas glow around it, and it's not a movie I can watch any other time of the year besides Christmas. Uh, and it's not to say that there's not some freaky shit in it. I mean, the fucking closing shot of this is iconic. Uh, I'm just, I'm very excited to discuss this movie with you, Julio. And just to be clear, for people that are like me and they're just not entirely sure which Black Christmas they, they're looking at, just from a screenshot or whatever, this is the OG Black Christmas. That's accurate. The one that started it all. Not one of the, I don't know, yeah. five remakes that we've done since. You will not find uh, Ramona Flowers here or whatever that one was that came out a few years ago. <laughs> okay. Well, so if everything, if we timed everything correctly, that should be already on your feet because that should have dropped on uh, Christmas Day. But, you know, we're recording from the past. You're listening to this in the future. So we're, we're going to try. But if not, just just look. Check the feed. There'll be a... <laughs> there'll be an episode on Black Christmas, there'll be an episode on uh, that weird movie, Fateful Findings, and uh, and then the other stuff that you know that you can expect, like uh, our cutting room floor stuff, the pre-recording notes, this month our QVRs are uh, The Raid for Alex and mm-hmm. Leave No Trace for me, both courtesy of Sam Hurley from Movie Reviews and 20Qs, uh, we'll do quick video reviews of those, and then, of course, we have Contrarians After Hours. <laughs> That's the spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we've watched, that we've read, that we've thought about. Uh, Alex, what are you bringing to Contreras After Hours this time? Well, Julio, as I've mentioned on uh, several preceding episodes, either on or off air, I've been on the quest to watch all the X-Men movies in chronological order. I'm coming to an end on that. I've got a few of them left. And uh, 
So we'll be talking about the X-Men film franchise and man, way more bad than good. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll bring to the table my, my official rankings of how I have them. And already I pretty set on what my top three, four are going to be. Well, you know what they say, Alex, this, this is, I think about screenplays, but I think it applies to just the entire world. 99% of everything is shit. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, I just watched, uh, X three again today for the first time. I think it's the second time in my life I've watched. Honestly, the only other time I can recall is when it was in the theater and, um, I'm not going to say it's a good movie, but watching apocalypse and dark Phoenix makes it not seem that bad. So it'll, it'll be an interesting like retrospective and I'm, I'm very excited to get your thoughts as we go by them kind of one by one. It's not going to be like huge uh, breakdowns of them all, but just kind of an overarching view of the the franchise and um, kind of what should have been. I look forward to shaking my head uh, <laughs> anytime that you you say that uh, Last Stand is or or even X Men Origins Wolverine uh, is better than anything else in the series because I don't know that that's possible. Um, uh, to be clear, already I'm going to put this on the table. That doesn't mean they're good. It just means they're, <laughs> they're better than Dark Phoenix. <laughs> All right. We'll see. That will be on, on After Hours, along with the, the answer to a question that was kind of thrown out there. I think it's where we did the Lighthouse episode. And I don't know if this made it into the episode or if it's something that was on the on the patron cutter room floor, but... Uh, we were talking about original voices and how, okay, The Lighthouse wasn't quite our cup of tea, but we were glad that it was out there. It was an original movie, and it was a filmmaker that was doing his own thing. And uh, it didn't work for us, but it was working for some people, and that's great. That's good for the industry. Um, and I brought up Jordan Peele, and I was like, you know, Get Out wasn't quite for me. Uh, us was definitely not for me, but I'm glad that he's out there, and I'm going to check out Nope. Now, if Nope is not for me, then it's time to accept that Jordan Peele's uh, filmmaking is really not something that that vibes with with my sensibilities, I guess. And uh, so I watched Nope, Alex. It's streaming now, and I I guess I have my verdict. My I'll have my verdict, and uh, I will share that on the after hours. I'll tell you if if I'm gonna be watching uh, Jordan Peele's fourth movie or if I'm gonna be saying nope to it. Along with that, I'm going to be giving you and our patrons uh, a J.M. DeMatteis update. Some of you may remember that I contributed to uh, this writer's Kickstarter campaign a while ago, and uh, I promise updates. Well, the campaign has been fully funded. My phone call uh, with him for, oh, for yeah. a Zoom conversation, yeah, it's it's scheduled. It's, uh, it's happening in January. So that gives me a little bit of time to kind of catch up on reading some of the stuff of his that I've read before that I really like. Just kind of to refresh my memory. And also read some stuff of his that I haven't read yet. Just kind of like to have a, a balanced conversation about his work. So uh, I went ahead, uh, I went to the comic book store this past weekend and I bought, uh, he has a Spider-Man book that he's writing right now. It's like a miniseries about uh, Craven the Hunter. And uh, it's sort of a prequel to one of the books that he's most known for. Because he wrote Craven's Last Hunt. And this miniseries is called The Lost Hunt. Uh, so I bought the first issue of that. Uh, I bought a collection of uh, a story that he wrote a couple years ago. Uh, it's called Ben Riley Spider-Man, which it's uh, it's also kind of like a, a lost years story of uh, Spider-Man's clone 
it's I'll explain it <laughs> in the after hours. Thank you. Anybody anybody that's not familiar with Spider-Man's uh, clone saga, they're just scratching their heads and like what? And then he wrote a novella pretty recently. It just came out. I think uh, it's called The Excavator, and uh, that was uh, that one I didn't have to buy. It was uh, available for free if you have a Kindle Unlimited, which my wife does. So I just downloaded it on my Kindle. So three pieces of uh, Mark DeMatteis's uh, writing that I hadn't read yet, and. Uh, I'll be telling you what I thought, and uh, if I if I'm even gonna bring them up when we talk on the phone <laughs> next month. Uh, but that's it. Uh, a Demetrius update, Jordan Peele Snope, and the entire X Men universe, live action universe. Alex hasn't delved into the cartoons yet. I don't think. No. They're uh, there, Alex. They're they're available. Well, like, are we talking the animated series from when I was a kid, or what? I mean, all of them. There's a. The 90s one, that which I guess is the most widely known, but then there was a, I think that there was a follow-up one that was like, it's actually called Wolverine and the X-Men, because the fucking nerve. I was about to say, that, that, that's basically <laughs> X2 and beyond. Yes. And uh, there might be a third one, but I want to say all of it is on Disney+. Plus. All right. Well. <laughs> Future project. Glad to know that's there. Yep. So all of that on the after hours, plus a Roxena mega series, plus the summer break trilogy, plus all the special episodes that we've had over the two years since we launched our patron. All the stuff's still available. Join, use the search engine, <laughs> find all the stuff that we've been doing on on that little side of uh, Contrarian's universe. Uh, go to Patreon.com/slash Contrarian Prime, check our tiers, and see if you'd like to contribute to the Contrarian supplements. and $10, our respective tiers. Go give us a buck. Check it out. We know you're going to love it. You're going to end up paying more because you're just going to need it. You're going to crave it after a while. But, uh, you know, jokes aside and putting modesty aside, uh, it's, uh, you know, we we give a lot there. We we try to make it a a deal for what you pay. So check it out. Like I said, a dollar will get you access to all the things we've referenced so far, all the bonus episodes going all the way back to our first one on Blue is Warmest Color and uh, our startling towering 15 hours or so of coverage on the <laughs> rock john cena uh, professional wrestling and cinematic feud so check it out and to all of our existing patrons god bless y'all we love y'all as i like to say we continue to take applications now alex let's uh let's do like carrie coon does and uh show up for the good stuff you gonna tell me where that weapon is Okay. We're not done. Yeah, for real. How did she? How do you reckon she pulled that out? I don't know. I, I'm. Sure there has to be a story behind that, right? Man, for the second time this recording, I almost brought up that that thing about uh, glass onion that I really don't want to bring up. <laughs> um, but yeah, just the idea that you have a known actor that shows up. Uh, I guess if her name wasn't on the credits, mm-hmm. I'll be like, oh, that's cool. She's just doing somebody a favor. But her name is, she's third build. The way that my brain makes it make sense is to think that there was a a longer cut where her character was there through the entire movie. You know, like, because she seems to know about the gun. And it's like, who told her about the gun? Because everybody that knew about the gun is dead, mm-hmm. other than Jack Rayner and, and the kid. So... I feel like maybe there was a, a 
a director's cut where she is chasing the gun. She's one more party chasing the gun from the very beginning. And then we see her at the end. That's the only way that I can explain it. That or, you know, I don't know. She's, she might be friends with, uh, what's the name of these guys? Are they the Walker brothers? Baker brothers. The Baker brothers. Yeah, she went to school with the Baker brothers. The Baker boys. <laughs> the Baker boys. And I don't know. It's it's so weird. But I I mean, I'm not going to complain any time that Carrie Coon shows up in a movie or a TV show. But I guess it's a difference. Uh, and not to go too far into my, my final score for this movie. But when a movie is, let's say, uneven at best and something like that happens, it almost underscores how just out of control <laughs> the, the messiness has gotten. I was like, and then Carrie Coon shows up. I'm like, well, of course, because by now we've <laughs> lost the thread. I don't know. That's That was my feeling. And that's, of course, you don't really, you didn't recognize her, right? That, so you, you figure it out after the fact? Yeah, I have no idea who she was. Yeah, so for you, it was just like, oh, well, an FBI agent showed up. Now what? <laughs> All right, so let's just – I, I want to get into this because I have some thoughts on this movie. Uh, but before we do, it's as is customary, 35% of Rotten Tomatoes Julio. So uh, despite the fact that it was critically – it wasn't like reviled. It was a bomb. A budget of $30 million, box office return of a little bit over $10 million. Lionsgate and Summit weren't really you know, licking their chops and – salivating at the prospect of giving the Baker brothers several million more dollars after this came out. It just kind of was released and has kind of floated adrift ever since. 35% of Rotten Tomatoes, that still means there's people out there that enjoyed it, that attribute to that 35% rating. So Julio, what were the positive reviews you were able to find for this? So I have uh, four fresh quotes. I'm going to read the first one, uh, isolate it, and then the next three I'm going to read back to back because they, they kind of all have the same underlying uh, praise. And I, I want to see if you spot it. <laughs> so we're going to start with Kevin A. Ranson from moviecrypt.com, who says, A fun little modernized throwback that appreciates sci-fi action flicks the way Stranger Things idolizes 1980s horror films. Mm. Uh, I, mean, I know you were not a fan of Stranger Things. <laughs> When, when you sampled it during the summer of Winona, but do you do you see that? Do you, I mean, I guess he's not saying specifically '80s sci-fi action movies, but do do you think that this is kind of like a you know a homage to a specific type of sci-fi movie, like Stranger Things? I guess is a homage or a riff on '80s horror movies. Uh, I don't, I don't know that that my main praise for this movie is going to be the story is a little bit different than uh, a lot of things I've come across. Not to say it's completely <laughs> like individualistic and you know revolutionary, but uh, no, I didn't. I mean, there's like Flight of the Navigator, and there's these movies you can think about of like, oh, this you know this little kid kind of stumbles across this alien artifact or piece of equipment and. You know, it opens up this whole new world for him, that type of thing. So that's not exclusive, but uh, no, I did not find this anywhere near as pandering as I find uh, Stranger Things. <laughs> well, uh, now the next three quotes you're probably uh, going to agree with, maybe. Uh, Christopher Lawrence from Las Vegas Review Journal says, 
Kin isn't a great movie. The narrative gets a bit too wonky at the end, but it's a refreshing change of pace from super-budgeted sci-fi. Jackie K. Cooper from JackieKCooper.com says, What it lacks in dramatic impact, it makes up being original. That's a real plus in these days of sequels, prequels, remakes, and reboots. And finally, Kurt Loder, yes, that Kurt Loder from Reason Online, My man. says... <laughs> He says, the picture is trying to do something a little different. A rare thing, as you probably noticed. All right. All right. These three people, you know, they're like, hey, at least it's not another piece of a franchise. Yes, but that doesn't mean that this is good. I agree. And I will back some of that, but I don't view that as cause to say this is good. This is like... uh, Kind of what we're talking about in IO. This is mm-hmm. an example of something that, like, good. And, and, you know, this actually got a theatrical release. It's like, all right, cool. Um, the problem is because it's a bomb, it's just like, it, it, you know, you always think of Brian De Palma. It's like, that guy got so many opportunities. You know how much money that guy lost studios repeatedly? But, you know, he every once in a while would knock one out of the park, that type of thing. That, that shit don't exist anymore. The fact this got greenlit to have a theatrical release is, was kind of surprising for me to read. It this needed sifting and filtering because it's just it's so aimless and wondering, and it honestly feels like a movie that would have come out ten years before it did. It's kind of surprising it got made in the age that we're in right now, in in the way that it got made. Actually, you know, getting pushed out there into the world. Michael B. Jordan being an executive producer on it probably helped a little bit, but uh, I agree with it's trying something, but that it, it's not good. It's very like uneven and the emotional investment it asks from the viewer ranges dramatically throughout the course of it. But I got to say, man, the core idea of this is fucking awesome. Like the idea of this guy who crosses the wrong people in like a real rooted crime ring in like a big city and then gets his family swept up in it and you can keep it as a little kid unbeknownst to him this little kid came across this fucking gun that belong or you know anything that belongs to this otherworldly or extraterrestrial force and so they're on the run from this you know, the bad guy. And then meanwhile, these other fuckers want their possession back. And it all culminates in like this big hail of gunfire, so to speak. The idea of that is awesome. The problem is this movie. Don't forget. There's also the FBI agent that's been tracking them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Who is the, the woman in uh, Dumb and Dumber, who's the FBI. We've been following you guys since so-and-so. Yeah. <laughs> um, the movie's not. It's like such a prime example of like the I- the germ of the idea is, you know, the story by credit. You know, you could sell something like this and like, oh, fuck yes. And obviously this is something these guys have worked on. Um, maybe that short, I'm honestly, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm kind of intrigued to go watch that short film now. Bagman. <laughs> Me too. Because I want to see if that's like, I want to see what it's all about because it, 
it really feels like that they had that concept and then when they were asked to stretch that out and it's not you know daniel casey wrote the screenplay so i'm not blaming them for this but it seems like that that concept is there but then when it's dragged out it's just like it completely falls apart so what i'm trying to say idea amazing and something that i would love to see done uh well because the execution in this case is bad yes (laughs) (laughs) if i had known how you were gonna end up Well, it kept this Walkman on me every day of my life. There was a point. I was I was trying to decide if I wanted to make this point because it was actually a point that I wrote for Contrarian's Corner. I I didn't get around to it. It it I was I was like thinking, do I really believe this, or was I just you know trying to be funny? Like when I wrote it, I was I kind of felt that you could say that. Like it's a little weird, and I I, I guess I don't know if it's good or bad that we have this big sci-fi gun and there are large portions of the movie where it doesn't really, it's almost like it's not there. You know, it's just like another prop. Sometimes when it comes into play, obviously it comes into play and it, 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 you know, it's, it's like nothing else that's in the movie, but then there are long stretches where they just kind of like put it away and the movie goes on being about other things. And I, I guess I still can't tell if that's good or bad. I guess if if the movie surrounding that was better, then I would definitely say that's really cool that they did this, which is what I was going to do in Contreras Corner, you know, just praise how they could have such an outlandish element and then treat it so casually. Um, but now that we're in real talk, I think that the movie might be trying to do too much. And so it, it's just so all over the place that I, I, I felt like, it needed more focus, and some of a way of focusing the story would be to just kind of bring it back, you know, to make it a little more about the fact that there's this really otherworldly artifact that they're dealing with. Because they're kind of like they're amazed, you know, when when they figure out that it's a weapon, but then they kind of go on about their lives. It's like okay, we're gonna use it to steal our money back and all that stuff, but it's not this. I, I guess I was missing that sense of awe of like. Dude, no shit. This they, technology. They're, they're just kind of <laughs> laughing at it. It's like, yeah, you have something no one on Earth has ever seen before, dude. Like, and you're the only person that can use it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like they're like, oh yeah, apparently you're the only one that can shoot it, and that's it. They move on from that. It's not, uh, you know, I would imagine that the brother would have been trying to, after the kid goes to sleep, try to figure out what's going on, or Zoe Kravitz would try to figure out how much can she sell it for. But no, it's just this thing. It's they're really treated like, oh, it's just a bigger gun. I mean, you can make a comedy about that, right? Like these, they have plenty. Sm- the, the watch is one, and uh, <laughs> Paul. I, I still, I haven't seen the watch. Was Paul the movie with Simon Pegg? With the alien? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're right. Yeah, that's they just stream like an alien, and that's what like, like a- Men in Black is. But Will Smith shoot like the first one where he shoots those guns and it's just like him blasting back and oh god like that type of thing. It's so yeah, but it, it, you're exactly right and you're pontificating things that like in my head I was thinking about but couldn't really put to words. It's uh that's exactly right for a movie that's presented with so much um seriousness. The fact that they do this and it's just kind of like ha ha ha. All right, let's go, you know, have some fun. Let's go to the casino. Yeah. 
oh, dude, fuck that. Let's go to Nevada. It's just this vacant lot that has a sign on it that says casino. <laughs> you got $30 million, but you can't afford a fucking shot of the strip down in Vegas. Come on, man. I have another big issue, which is, uh, and we're talking about the contrarian drinking game. This is for you and for uh, longtime listeners. It's not going to be a surprise, but I was not particularly taken with the kids' performance. It's not bad, you know. It's not, uh, but it's not the, Haley Joel Osment. <laughs> thank you. Um, or uh, speaking of brothers, I always forget her name. The little girl and brothers that we're, we've always been very complimentary about. In this perfect world where I talk about this cool idea, this great idea for a script, the, you need flawless execution to make this work because anything that involves aliens or extraterrestrial life forms can easily fall apart real quick. And we try not to be cynical if this is your first time listening to us. And, you know, Julio and I don't hate kids. But it's uh, not kid actors, at least. Yeah, there you go. If if you're going to anchor a movie on a kid's performance, that's what it's going to be judged on. And I, that's such a weird thing because I know that's unfair to say. You know, Jake Lloyd's a great example. It's unfair to when it's not good, blame it on a child. But at the same time, it's like the way this movie was positioned was. This is the lead role that you're supposed to, you know, everything else that happens in the story centers around this. And so if you're not taken by that, you're going to have a really hard time getting into everything else. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I always, you know, default. Now, I've I've learned like that the way that I make it work for me where I don't feel bad and I still think that, you know, I'm, I'm delivering a fair assessment is if you're going to blame someone, you blame the director because the director ends up saying, yes, we're going with this, right? Somebody approved this casting. And and of course, you know, you never know what's going on behind the scenes. So maybe they, they cast this kid and it looks like it's going to work out. And then they get to the more complicated scenes and they're like, oh, we can't, you know, it's not it's not quite working out. It's not, it's not great. But what do you do at that point? You know, you have to make the choice of do I recast? Do I not recast? And if this is a small production, can you afford to recast? Can you rewrite around... This issues because what I'm saying is, he's not terrible. It's just, you know I watch it and he he was fine. He's not like uh, who did I not? Okay, last action here, like the kid from last action here. Yeah. Like that was a, a, I had a serious problem with that. Right, I'm like the dialogue is not working almost on a like scene to scene uh, basis. But here it's more like I buy him, and then he'll have a big scene like when he finds out that his dad is dead, and then he goes and confronts his brother, and that's that's really heavy stuff, and. I think Jack Rayner is a good actor, but not good enough to carry that scene on his own. So that's that's where it falters. And that's one of the most important parts of the movie. Uh, I'll give the kid this. He has that sort of like innocent look that makes it really creepy and, and unsettling when you see him playing with a gun. Uh-huh. That he pulls off. And, yeah. and I think that maybe that's the, the initial reason that he got cast, because he that image is really good he, he has that good you know that that projection but but yeah when you get to the more complicated stuff it's and that's fine i mean you know it's a lot to ask from a kid so i mean it could be a lot to ask from an adult <laughs> so that's why it's not his fault but they i wish that they'd found a way around that uh, you know where they don't give him those scenes or maybe just not cast them because you know he couldn't carry those that's like, fuck, at 14, I wouldn't be able to do anything like what this kid does in the movie. But that's still, you know, that doesn't mean that it's enough. So 
that is a big deal because the kids, you know, half the movie. All right, you you killed him, Jimmy. All right. You did. Listen, I know you want to hit me right now, but we got to go, okay? Come on, we got to go. We got to go now. Off on Security to the main floor. Do you like Jack Rayner or... Do you dislike no. the acting as much as you dislike the character? The the story's so stupid and flimsy. I I didn't find him to be much of anything special, but it can't be understated how like legitimately mad I was getting at the like the script and like the story of this movie where he's just oh I'm just now I'm bonding with my brother despite the fact that I was directly the cause of our dad's death, you know, a few <laughs> minutes ago and uh it's all just so flimsy. And I'm not saying there's not a scenario in which you can't pull that off. But yeah, with Miles Truitt and Jack Rayner weren't anything too special. And like Dennis Quaid's really good at what he is, but he's, you know, pin me, pay me type thing. I'm here. All right, let's go. (laughs) And uh, Zoe Kravitz, I didn't make, I couldn't figure out a way to make it sound positive, but like she just shows up again at the end. I was like, what? (laughs) <laughs> she'd be following the news i guess so and part of me was hoping that it was going to be like the romantic ending as she ends up with the little boy it's just like just go lean all the way into it you guys come on baker brothers have some balls but the problem is with this movie is that you have dennis quaid and then you have james franco who's so enjoyable in his role in this movie that these people who are you know better actors than me but they get trounced and to be clear we're speaking of james franco in this movie i'm not endorsing him as a human or any of that i don't i he's like the most enjoyable part of this you know it's kind of like Homefront when he's not on screen i'm mm-hmm. like where's james franco uh but that that's kind of it's like Homefront. if he was on screen the entire time you'd get fucking sick of him but he you know he's in maybe 20 minutes of this movie and it's uh He's got that bad guy wrapped down pretty good. Who wins in a fight between James Franco here and James Franco in Homefront? Homefront, easily. Really? Yeah. <laughs> this James Franco walks through an entire police station. But you, dude, fucking Homefront is like Bayou Swamp Trash. And there's something that you... <laughs> he fucks Winona Ryder in that movie on the hood of a car. Like, you know, there's something that you can't... There's an intangible. Even though he's got his like wannabe Sons of Anarchy crew in this movie, I don't think they got shit on him in Homefront. Now both he got lucky. <laughs> he saying he got lucky when he walked uh, into that police station. Oh, they, they you know it doesn't hurt that they seem to be the most inept cops on earth. But yep. uh, <laughs> what I can say is James Franco in Kin and James Franco in Homefront both would beat the shit out of James Franco in Spring Breakers. <laughs> As I've said many times, I don't know if I've ever actually said it on our podcast before, but that's one of the most rewarding parts of that movie is how Alien dies immediately when he gets into a a moment of conflict. Because it's like, yeah, it suits the character. Great film, unlike Ken. Uh, (laughs) So James Franco's enjoyable. You like the scene where he pisses in the gas station? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't play. I thought we were heading towards a... uh, the country for old men scene where he's like call it, it you know where like basically the the gas station attendant was like doomed franco but, you know is a good actor for you know what it, the roles he's chosen but i don't see any scenario in which he could pull that off 
<laughs> well, but you know what I mean? Like, I thought that this was going to end up in, end in bloodshed, but instead it's more like he pulls it out and then he, he can't piss, so he has the guy to turn around. That's <laughs> and the hilarious. the guy turns around. Yeah. Well, the best part is instead of just giving him the key to the bathroom, right. he just, <laughs> just lets this dude piss on his floor. So I guess we've come this far. We can't we can't backtrack. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. I agree. He's funny. He's probably he's definitely the most entertaining performance in the movie. I like Zoe Kravitz. I, I yeah, I don't think that the character like what they do with the character makes much sense. I was about to say, uh, you're her agent or you're her. What about this role sounds appealing? Uh I think, and see, that's the problem. I'm not as familiar with her, with her filmography to say, well, she just needed something that would let her show her charisma for more than five minutes, you know? Because if if that's if she was looking for something like that, then yeah, this is a good vehicle because she gets a couple good scenes. Like I think that when, um, specifically, anytime that she's talking to the kid, she's really good. Like mm. when she's talking to him in the in the strip club, and then when they're talking in the in the bedroom. She shows she has more charisma in those in those scenes than Jack Rayner does, and I like Jack Rayner. But you know the way that she she relates to the kid is very it's warm, but it's not schmaltzy. She's she's very uh, like it feels genuine. But I also believe that in the end she's also kind of looking out for herself. So I buy that she would bail. <laughs> you know when the cops show up, she just you know she's like peas and then she leaves. I, I buy a lot less and she shows up back at the end, but that's just you know the movie kind of contriving for a happy ending. But yeah, I guess if you're Zoe Kravitz, you look you read the script and you're like yeah I can do something with this. You know I'll be on screen for a little while and people will be like oh that's Zoe Kravitz and she's really good and then maybe I'll I'll get something else. Uh, you know she was in that um, high fidelity TV show. That, oh yeah. Uh, uh, I never watched it, but you know she was the main character, and she—I uh, know it's already been canceled. I don't know if it got one or two seasons, but I think that depending on you know what was going on in her career, I mean, this might have looked like uh, why not? <laughs> you know, it's not going to hurt me. I'm not going to—I'm not going to look like an asshole for making this movie. I know I don't want to beat the Carrie Coon thing to death, but that's that's more puzzling to me. Uh, You're obsessed with this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would be like a, I'm trying to think of an actress that, or even an actor that you hold in high regard that would puzzle you that way. You know, he shows up for five seconds at the end of a of Ken, uh, acting like they've been there the entire time. <laughs> the uh, be like the the guy who played Herman Munster, uh, Jeffrey Dean Daniels, I think is his name. Like in the next movie he's in, if he, yeah, if he just has like one scene towards the end and gets, he has a scene, in, uh, like a blink and you miss it scene in Zodiac. It would have been like if he gets billing in Zodiac or something <laughs> like that. I thought Bill mostly was Herman Munster. What? No? No. Oh, I don't know. Uh, I haven't watched the movie. I, I, I just... Oh, I'm is sorry. Bill mostly the, in the movie? No, 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 no. The the only reason I reacted so strongly to that is because it's like I you you would know I would make a much bigger deal if Bill Mosley was Herman Munster. No, <laughs> I'm just gonna make sure I have this right now. Is it Jeffrey Dean Daniels? Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Jeffrey Dean Morgan is the guy who plays him. No, is it? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't even seen a trailer. I don't know where I got Dean. It's Jeff Daniel Phillips. That's the motherfucker's name. And yeah, he has like a a scene in Zodiac. So like it, it's a little shorter than her role here, but it would be comparable to him getting billing in that. But no, he plays Herman Munster and is fantastic if you haven't seen. 
Anyway, um, Jay Gyllenhaal. You you like Jay Gyllenhaal? Jay Gyllenhaal shows up as the FBI agent. You haven't seen him in the opening credits. You would go, <laughs> "What the fuck?" <laughs> I'd be mad that he got. You know, it's. <laughs> um, if Inception came out now and Tom Hardy had like second billing, because you know he's in that movie, but he's not like in that movie. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Well, let's. I mean, I would ask the same question about uh, Zoe Kravitz and her agent. Oh, it's to, like uh, um, put it put it I'm to any s- squid. I mean, you got me like thinking about this shit now. It's um, <laughs> fuck. Who's the blonde in Good Time that's in it for like a scene but gets a top billing in it from Fast Times at Richmond High, The Hateful Eight? Yes, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. Jennifer Jason Lee. Thank you. Thank you. So yeah, I understand what you're saying. All right. Well, now that that's settled. Uh... <laughs> Let me tell you something, okay? Coming to a place like this never made anybody a man. Ever. Ask the same question of Dennis Quaid and, and his agent. What makes Dennis Quaid say yes to this? Is he an older actor that's like, yeah, I'll, I'll throw these young filmmakers a bone? Or is he hurting for work? He's like, sure, whatever, as long as they pay me. I would hope Dennis Quaid's not hurting for work. On paper, this script probably looks pretty fucking dope. My understanding is when you sign on to do a movie, it doesn't necessarily mean the script's completely finalized or whatnot. So, like I said, the idea of this movie is awesome. So it's possible that Dennis Quaid just kind of looked it over and was like, why not? I'm only in there for the first reel and a half, so let's do it. And it is funny, you know, your obsession with uh, Carrie Coon getting third billing. I wonder if in this particular case more money came along with the with credit and the and credit than it did, you know, that high up on the card. To your original question, though, I think this probably looked intriguing. And it kind of does it not seem like in the past few years, Dennis Quaid's like trying to do what he can to get back to like Meg Ryan (laughs) or like. (laughs) You know, he was like a movie star for a few years, and I understand there are no more movie stars, but it's like, isn't he a big Trump guy? Like, is uh, I mean, maybe. <laughs> I was going to say something really mean, and I'm like, I don't want to say that. Uh, I don't know. I'll tell you what I what I know, and this this is like, what do you call it? Third party information. Like, it's like three people removed, but uh, somebody that we used to work with at the movie theater. Uh, would love to tell the story of how he once met Dennis Quaid because sh- he was shooting something and he went up to him and told him, hey, people people usually say that I look like you. And Dennis Quaid just kind of grunted and told him to fuck off. And so the, the point of the story was that, you know, Dennis Quaid is not as nice as you think. <laughs> yeah, I knew he did like voice support for Trump at one point, but it wasn't like, you know, insane Mel Gibson style shit. That's what it is. He's a fucking asshole. Because like <laughs> he's a he's a great actor, and there was a moment in time where he was a movie star. He's the fucking lead in one of my favorite movies of the 21st century. Smart people, and that's what it was. Because I was trying to think, like it really has seemed like the roles he's taken in the past decade have been in an attempt to like kind of regain the footing he once had, and. uh it's hard to do that now, man. It's not even my bit, you know, my reoccurring bit or like my joke I do in here, but like you're not part of that club anymore. Then it's kind of hard to rise to that level of prominence. So I, I wouldn't, you know, it doesn't surprise me that he takes roles like this. 
even if he thinks the movie might not be that good, which I, again, I don't have that on the record or anything, but I think he's just trying to stay out there and stay relevant to a harsh term because, you know, De Niro does a movie every two or three years. So it's not like he's like constantly out there. It's just, um, I don't know. To me, it, this, this feels like, a former bona fide star still trying to stay out there and show I, I still got the chops to do this shit because I like how, uh, he's like the best performance in this. I think you think so. I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I enjoy Franco in this and I know your thoughts on uh, what's his name? Jack Rayner a little bit different than mine, but um, speaking of Jack Rayner, I just like that we are not questioning his participation in this movie at all. <laughs> With everybody else, we're like, why would they do this? But with Jack Rayner, it's like, of course he would take this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, after Midsummer, nobody wanted to touch me. Actually, this is before Midsummer, right? It is before Midsummer. So in the wake of Kin, he was in, on the basis of sex, a 2018 American biographical legal drama based on the life and early cases of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I'm annoyed. Uh, <laughs> you know who plays Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Uh, don't look it up if who? you don't know who. Uh, of course, now I don't remember the actress name, but uh, she's the main character in Rogue One, not Diego Luna. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, I was about to say Diego Luna, and then if you said no, I was gonna say Forrest Whitaker. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, Felicity Jones. Yes, I'm annoyed. She's British, she had a great. Um, skit on SNL when she was hosting for Rogue One. It was like, uh, oh, I can't remember what her job was, like an accountant or something. It, it, the The joke of it was like it was her and these other women who seemed extremely shy and were like on this vacation at this open mic night. And when the mic came to them, they would tell like the most awful jokes you've ever heard and not awful, like bad, like just disgusting. It was and she was really funny in it. He was then in Mowgli, Legend of the Jungle, a 2018 adventure drama film directed by Adam Serkis with the screenplay based on the collections. A live, it's a, it's, I'm annoyed. It's a live action jungle book movie. <laughs> Fuck off. All right. Directed by uh, Lord of the Rings guy. Andy Serkis? Gollum. Yeah. Okay. My point about Jack Rayner might have been a little confusing. I guess I don't. I like him as an actor, and I think, like I think it's corner. I think a lot of it is just bleed over from how much I like him in Sing Street. And so, it's not that I thought that his performance was fantastic in this one. I think that his performance is adequate given the screenplay that he's working with. I mean, I don't think that the movie ever gives him a moment where he gets to show off and prove, you know, <laughs> why you want Jack Rayner in your movie. I think that the, the older brother here could have been played by anyone, but, uh, you know, for, for what it's asking, not anyone, but, you know, like your average actor. Like, I, I think that the the screenplay demands more from the kid, yeah. demands more from Franco, demands more from Dennis Quaid, even from Zoe Kravitz, you know, like those those actors are they're doing something. He, he just kind of has to be... Uh, I guess charming is too strong a word, but you know he has to make it to where you don't hate him. And I, I think that the only reason that I don't hate him in this movie is because of Sing Street, not because of any <laughs> acting that he's doing. <laughs> so it it's fine. He's fine. I mean, I, I it didn't. 
he i guess i was able to separate you know the character from the actor in a way that where i was just happy that he was there the actor was there you know <laughs> having a sizable role and uh, and at the same time i was able to kind of laugh at the stupidity of the of the character of uh, he's fine i mean i just don't know when you said that quaid was the the strongest performance it kind of took me aback because i mean he might have the best scene when he when he is in the car with the kid and he tells him that he loves him and that he's trying to do his best. What I mean by best is it's also effortless. Like he just is just, it's second nature to him type thing. Whereas like homeboy here, Jack Rayner just feels like acting like, you know, um, <laughs> that shot of him in the elevator. Where he looks at himself in the reflection and flips himself off. I was just like, Oh fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> And, you know, I'm sorry that I just every time I think about the way people talk about Midsummer, I get annoyed and I'm just like, <laughs> I feel like I have like unfair bias against people from it now because of that, uh, which is not true. Yeah, I just feel like Midsummer is something that happened to him, <laughs> not <laughs> something that he was actively part of, even though it doesn't make sense. But uh, no, I get it. I, I'm just still hung up on the on the Quaid thing because I, I guess <laughs> to me <laughs> my experience watching the movie was just that he looked really angry the entire time and uh, that brother that's been him since like 2010. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean I don't know he it's good he uh, he's effective. There you go. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's because he's giving great performance or because you need utility infielders, man. He, he just gets in there, does his job, and gets out. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I mean, in the end, the sum of all these performances is not enough to give the movie, uh, you know, to make you look past all the stuff that doesn't work with the plot. Well, that's right? I, I'm surprised you're getting so hung up on it because, like, when I say that Dennis Quaid's the best in this, we're not talking about fucking The Departed here, man. It's not. <laughs> It's not like we have this embarrassment of riches of performance. It's not almost famous that we're dealing with. I guess just to, just to lay it to rest, I will say that maybe maybe it's just because I think that Zoe Kravitz is better than him. Oh, she wow. doesn't. Yeah, but you know you have to take the performance out of what actually happens in the movie. Dennis Quaid benefits from the fact that the movie lets him out before things get bad. So it's a good performance. That also makes sense. It's like, oh yeah, I get this. It's like the the dad that's trying his best, but he's like old school, and and then he's dead. And uh, like Zoe Kravitz goes through a you know some nonsense in this movie, <laughs> but I I look back fondly at her scenes that work, and you know I I guess that's why I'll I'll rank her a little higher. Again, it doesn't matter because when the movie's over, I don't think man it was worth it for those performances. <laughs> The movie's over, and I was like, uh, what the fuck was Carrie Coon doing there? Can we please go back to the Carrie Coon billing? Yeah. <laughs> We're going to take a piss. Uh, bathrooms for employees only, friend. All right, so Zoe Kravitz, we've kind of gone through the performances here. It's the implication that he, like, Zoe Kravitz is going to adopt the kid at the end. Or date him once he's old enough. <laughs> Just kind of hold on and then, you know, uh, bad Bubby style. Oh, God. <laughs> I was going to say she watched The Phantom Menace. She knows that 
you know, once oh, enough time passes. She's not that old. Uh, yeah, I guess she's she's just gonna take care of him because uh, Jack Rayner is gonna be in the clink for. He has to, you know, he's gonna put away for a few years. Uh, Carrie Coon says probably not as long as he thinks. If he if he collaborates, how is he? How is he coll- going to collaborate? Everybody's dead. Like, there's yeah. no more information for him to Who give. Who can he sell out? <laughs> Tell us what it's like to be in prison. <laughs> Tell us the truth about Dennis Quaid. Why is he, was he in this movie? Is he really an asshole? Big Trump guy? What's the deal with him? <laughs> uh, okay, so the ending of this movie fucking sucks. And I don't mean the ending we just talked about, but like the reveal that they're not aliens, they're just humans from another dimension. It's just, And that it's Michael B. Jordan like trying to... Do you think they were trying to set up some like franchises overused but you think they were gone in for like a sequel with this uh i hope not because then it's it's even sloppier than <laughs> than it is right now like I, I, when i watched it i just thought they were going for you know there is i've seen it like I've, I've seen it from uh you know writers that i know or writers that i've know of and and even you know i'm experienced my own writing my friends right you know there are times where you kind of get lost in your own mythology and it might not be that you're writing something that's going to be that's going to have a lot of installments but it's you come up with this story right you come up with this world this universe whatever and then you slowly zone into the story that you're telling within this universe and uh but that universe that you've created still exists you know and I just got the feeling that this was, you know, they came up, it felt like they'd come up with this backstory about these other worlds and, you know, this war that's going on, whatever. And then at the end, they decided to, like, open a window into, like, all the stuff that we hadn't seen that we didn't know without being aware of how silly it looked. You know, I think that it's supposed to give you this feeling of, like, oh, my God, like, all this other stuff is going on. Not because you're thinking there's going to be a sequel that explains it or that explores it, but more as in it's just supposed to blow your mind. And I just I just don't think it works uh, because it's just so... My mind was not blown. It was the opposite of that. Yeah, it was just like, what? Why? What does it mean? What is it, you know, why does he have to be his brother? <laughs> even, even... Even if it's just like like they're shoot aliens and they show up and he just hands the weapon to them and they don't really speak a word and they take it and then like disappear, that's more satisfying yeah, than what we get. I agree. I agree. Because that, that goes with what you were saying, right? That's the cool thing is that there's this alien force that is just coming for them and they don't know about it. And then they show up and, you know, like I knew... Th- I was like, there's two ways that this goes, right? When they finally, when everything comes together, those aliens uh, or people from the future, they're going to either save them, which would be the most predictable thing and could be annoying if they just show up and basically, um, you know, they fix something that would, wouldn't be fixable without them. That's kind of like cheating, right? Or they show up and make things worse, which would be cool. Uh, and then they show up and end up, you know, fixing things. But, but you're right. I mean, if they just show up and it's just this sort of like if their presence gave you the that feeling of wow uh we humans and our petty squabbles are nothing yeah. <laughs> in the big picture because there are these otherworldly forces that you know just come over and 
they just take care of business and then they leave. Yeah, you're right. That would that that would have I don't know struck a nerve, but instead it's like Michael B. Jordan takes his helmet off and just dumps a lot of exposition. That is, I I, I didn't feel they had an emotional any emotional relevance with what we've been watching. It's like. Is he telling him, is this all worth it? Because he's telling him that he's not alone, that he's special. But the movie was never about that. Like, I didn't feel like the the, the kid was struggling with. Exactly. It's like, it's like if the end of District 9, it's just like, it turns out they're humans. It's like, what, what was the fucking point of this then? <laughs> like, what, you know, they, they, it's the whole thing of like, you weren't supposed to find that. Then why is he like one of y'all? Like what? It's just like this intergalactic coincidence, and I try not to be such a fucking nerd about this stuff. But it's when you do that, it just, and I'm not, I'm not 14 watching this movie, so it just immediately makes me question everything that's fucking going on to the point of just annoyance. And it's just, all right, why, why bother? It doesn't make. I mean, yes, if you start taking it apart, it gets even worse because. So he's supposed to have been hidden here on planet Earth for safekeeping, but he, they just, it sounds like they just abandoned him. I mean, they, it's not like he's living in a plushy house where he's safe. He's, uh, he's out there scavenging. (laughs) Yeah. And if they meant to keep him safe, they put a weapon he didn't know how to operate in his hands. He could have blown himself up. (laughs) (laughs) They're doing a poor job in two dimensions of the galaxy. (laughs) Yeah, you would think that they would have one person that's constantly keeping an eye on him. Instead, like, James Franco finds him faster than they do. <laughs> this fucking white trash dude from Detroit, you know, <laughs> I don't even know if we see he has shoes at any point in the movie. He's able to track him down and, you know, nearly kill him. It's, I wanted to like it. I really did. And I, I was, like, almost on the point of, like, you know, the brink of being performative about, like, all right, let's cut this movie some slack. But then the ending happened. I was like, all right, fuck this. Like, I just thought they were, like, in biker helmets and walked like humans just due to budgetary constraints. Like, I thought, like, yeah, they're not going to, like, District 9, they're not going to bust that out and they're not going to have a xenomorph or anything like that. So it's just, this is what they are. And, oh, man, now I'm getting mad. But it's like... (laughs) When the reveal happens at the end that they can just speak English and talk to us, <laughs> it's like, why the hell were they speaking in this alien language the entire movie? Why weren't they just like, hey, you want to go get Arby's? All right, cool. <laughs> Look, I know things have been tough for you here. And all this, it ain't making it any easier. Remember, just because you're by yourself doesn't mean you're alone. Look, here's another thing. Is it a mistake that they cast Michael B. Jordan for that part? Is it distracting or does it add to the... It's extremely distracting. (laughs) It's extremely distracting. It makes it feel like in addition to just being like, what the fuck? It's like, why the fuck? (laughs) And then when they plaster like a billboard in the credits that he's the executive producer, your first (laughs) thought is like, Oh, he just wanted to be in the movie. Like he, <laughs> he made them rewrite the ending so he could show up and be the hero, uh, which I I don't know if that actually happened. Um, no, it might have been more of a, you know, that's how you you get some money. He's yeah. like, okay, I'll be in the movie. He's like Brad Pitt with Twelve Years a Slave. He's like, all right, I'll give myself one scene. <laughs> and in both cases, they're the heroes. That- <laughs> yes. 
yeah, it just led me to be like, what? It, it, distracting is the exact word for it because I was still just when the credits roll, I'm like, what was the point of that? So, man, it's definitely a movie that, you know, I could have lived with giving it two stars or something on letterbox but that that last five minutes i was just like dude fuck this <laughs> i i don't think it's that bad i mean it's i mean it's bad it's bad and i'm now i'm just laughing because i'm thinking of different actors under the helmet it's like there's no it, it never works like unless it's a complete unknown it's always going to be ridiculous like he takes the helmet off and it's like samuel jackson or don't well, even <laughs> lachlan monroe even like <laughs> At that point, if that's because the movie builds to that moment, so no matter who it is, if the person unmasks themselves halfway through the movie, like, all right, here's how you do this. Here's how (laughs) this is the route, you fucks, as Joey Diaz would say. We see them halfway through the movie and they go to the scene where the gun was and they use their masks to scan the, the scene. You know how they can see like where it was previously. Mm-hmm. Or, or no, they go to the strip club because they're able to reenact the sequence of everything and they see that. So they do that and then blah, 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 they take their masks off and we see it's Michael B. Jordan and uh, Lily Gao and the pressure's off. And we're like, okay. Right. But we still know as the audience, we're like, they know something we don't. So we know they're people, but we don't know, you know, are they from some branch of the government we don't know about? Are they, you know, from, you know, b- Bishop from X-Men, like, you know, interdimensional bounty hunters, that type of thing. And then so in the end, when they show up and they explain everything, it's a little bit easier to swallow. The fact that the reveal and the exposition all happened within five minutes, it's just like, all right, I'm 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 annoyed. I'm exhausted. Well, uh, here here's my alternate way of handling it. He takes the helmet off and it's Dennis Quaid. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and Five we stars. don't acknowledge anything. <laughs> just, the script stays the same. <laughs> he hits the little button that opens his helmet and he says, I'm just doing the best I can. <laughs> and he the, winks. <laughs> it, no, he doesn't wink. He just looks down to uh Jack Rayner and is like, I'm sorry. <laughs> And then Dennis Quaid hops in the the portal, and you know they they're left questioning. And then that's when the credits hit. <laughs> there you go. We fixed it. <laughs> we did. <laughs> we we gave y'all multiple options of how to do that movie in a working manner. <laughs> Just a shame, as you can tell. I wanted to like this because I think there's some really fascinating stuff to it, and. Uh, original interesting concepts but we'll go dead center d it um it's not good and when it's bad it's really bad and the majority of the time the good was either individual performances or just the concept at hand so i'm gonna go with a d julio where's it falling on your scale uh a very generous two stars because i i didn't hate watching this movie in you know, this this past year we've we've watched some movies that actually made me struggle. So that's I'll give it that. I mean, it's it's an easy watch. Um, even if you roll your eyes through a lot of it, it's and there's some ideas there, and you're right in the performances overall. I mean, you know, I'm not gonna recommend it to anyone. Uh, no. Jordan, if you like this movie, <laughs> feel free to uh, send us your your thoughts, your defense. And if you don't like it, uh, well, then you must have had a blast <laughs> in real talk. 
but yeah, two stars. That's that's it. We've we've done much worse, as we like to say. Oh yeah. But we've also done much better. Whatever your thoughts on it, Jordan. Thank you for being a patron and bringing this across our table. Throwing this on our desk, not bringing it across. You just threw it down and said, "Get it done." <laughs> and uh, hey, man, it's what this shit's for. And this is constantly leading Julio and I to watching and discussing movies we had no knowledge of prior. So that was Ken. That concludes 2022. Moving into 2023, Julio, what is uh, first on the horizon for our main timeline? Well, Alex, uh, we we have a debt to pay. We got caught up on, on a lot of like special events and the uh, guest spots and everything on, on the second half of 2022. Uh but way back when we did the live stream for The Cure, we made a promise. We said, if we reach our goal, there are four movies that we're going to cover on the main timeline. And uh, it's time to do that. <laughs> it's time to uh, fulfill... Pay our, our penance. Yes. Yeah. This is what everybody's been waiting for since May 2022. So those of you who have been with us for at least that long, uh, you know, the, the, the four movies are... Uh, the Bone Collector, being John Malkovich, Labor Day, and Goodfellas. The Bone Collector for Denzel Washington, being John Malkovich for Cameron Diaz. Labor Day for Kate Winslet and Goodfellas, of course, for Robert De Niro. The four actors that were spotlighted, spotlit <laughs> in our Life Before the Cure segment. So coming up next, we're going to open 2023 with the Denzel Washington movie, uh, The Bone Collector, which I've never seen. Alex, are you familiar with it? I'm familiar with it, but I've never seen it. Okay. Is that the one with Angelina Jolie? Yes. Awesome. Good times already. Or as I called her in my youth, the boner collector. <laughs> you know what to expect now, patrons. Patrons and listeners. Uh, so that's next. And then, you know, we're going to knock out the rest of those movies over, over the first couple months of the year. Uh, and then... Well, we're not going to tell you yet, but we have we have something special coming up uh, for for patrons and for the main timeline. So that's just keep your your ears to the ground. Just wet your appetites, tantalizing you just a little bit. Yes. So that's coming up next, and I think we're done here, Alex. We're done with 2022. We're done with Ken. Get us out of here. All right, so to take us out of here, we're going to start off by giving thanks to the Festive Years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all Festive Years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rothieser, he's the man behind our logo and all the graphics on our webpage, our patron page, our merch page. That little tomato looking at itself in the mirror, that's Hans's handiwork. Uh, if you like it and you want to tell him how much you like it, uh, just shoot him an email at mildemonios at hotmail.com. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S dot com. Or you can reach him on Twitter at mildemonios. Or you can check out his website, mildemonios.pe, where he has all his other work listed. He's a, he's a writer. He has a bunch of zombie novels uh, available there. And he's also a podcaster. Like I said, he has a podcast about Peruvian current affairs called Nación Combi and a podcast about economy called Marginal. Hans, thank you for all your support. And we continue to thank the support of our friends over at the Late Night Grin. LateNightGrin.com, at LateNightGrin on Twitter. Uh, you can also find them on YouTube, uh, Late Night Grin. Uh, wrestling podcast, uh, occasionally cover film as well. They have their watch-alongs they refer to as grin-alongs. And 
Uh, there's a monthly show on there called The Grin Grappler that they are so gracious to include me on uh, monthly as I guess I'm a regular part of the panel now. Legitimate friends I've made through the internet over there. And so, boys, continue to keep up the good work. Uh, they continue to support us, so we want to continue to support them as well. And uh, speaking of support, no better example than that of Ms. Zoe Perez, our social media guru, our social media czar. Continues to do great work for us. Continues to give us great effort and churn out great work, not just for us, but for you, uh, our fans, dare I say, and adoring public. Uh, you can find us facebook.com slash contrarian prime, uh, Instagram at contrarian prime, youtube.com at contrarian prime. We're taking over, man. And, you know, you patrons kind of already know this and have an insight to it, but uh, we continue to expand where we can. And a huge part of that is Zoe. So, Zoe, as always, we really appreciate the work that you do for us. And we appreciate y'all, our listening public, and the people who continue to tune in for listening. We do the show for you, so we appreciate you listening. But that is going to do it for this episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. Yeah.